Clancy Pasta presents. Next time you see a delusional old person, take a closer look. Written by J. Men Cartley. Not many 80-year-olds can look back on life with as little regret as I do. I was a hard worker, a kind husband, and a good man. My kids admire me as much as their kids love me. When my sweetheart became my angel last year, the whole family started seeing my problems. Me and Marie were a romance you read or watch, not live. That woman did as much for me as she meant. Everything. I have very clear physical reminders of my life of labor. I have trouble doing the things you shouldn't even have to focus on. Getting up, climbing the stairs, walking for more than 10 minutes. Marie used to help me with all of that, but now life is more of a chore. My family are grateful for all I've done over the years, so when these issues became apparent, the offers of spare rooms or moving in as a helping hand came in bulk. It was overwhelming, but even though I'm an old man, the oldness doesn't stop me from remaining a man. It was time for me to stop dodging life and begin taking its punches head on. My family argued, refused, and claimed to be unmovable in their stances, but I had already picked out the care home I wanted. I still remember the night I held my son and daughter's hand, shared my stare between them, and said, Dad's here to look after you. You don't have to look after Dad. Two days later, all three of us were walking through the front doors of the care home I settled on. I had already prepared myself for what I was going to see, but Jesus. So many abandoned eyes staring, but not seeing anything. Nurses talking to empty shells like they were children. It's hard to find annoyance in it when there was no sign of the patients understanding a word anyway. Morning, guys. How can I help? A jaunty receptionist spoke over my pity. Morning. My dad here is looking to find a... I interrupted my daughter. I could still speak for myself. This is where I'm supposed to be living, I believe. I leant on the reception desk as I felt my son and daughter's frustrated gaze. Not a problem, sir. Can I take your name? The process was as depressing as I expected. I felt I was booking a coffin rather than a room. My son and daughter watched as I pretended to listen to the introduction and faked optimism whilst being shown my room. Plain walls, single bed, a chest of drawers, a window with a car park view and a wooden chair with a desk in the corner. It was enough. The kids promised me a visit first thing the next day, and with that, I was alone in my new home. I spent the day watching mindless television, thinking about Marie and avoiding those vacant faces all around me. I prayed to every god I didn't end up joining them one day. I didn't have to look at anyone if I didn't want to, but I couldn't help hearing them. A select few just sat in a daze, repeating certain phrases over and over again. One woman sat in a rocking chair, almost chanting, my girls, my girls, my girls, every half an hour or so, like a dying smoke alarm. Another man did similar while stood still, leaning on his cane. Susan, 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 
at least twice an hour. I made a mental note of all who did this, that way I'd know who to blame for my inevitable madness in the years to come. I felt like I'd hardly seen the afternoon when Akira's voice became the first clear tone to fill the room. Bedtime, everyone. Please find your rooms and ask someone if you need assistance. A group of carers scattered themselves around the room to help up the patients that couldn't do so by themselves. I knew I was in a home for the very reason I was about to ignore, but I couldn't accept it. I could handle my kids helping me stand each day, even my grandkids, but it was Marie's job, one that no care could take away from her. I trembled and tensed in pain as I tried to rise, clutching chair armrests and reaching for nearby walls for assistance. I heard my knees crack and felt them tighten as I tried to force them straight. A group of nurses came rushing over to help my obvious struggle, but were met by my outstretched arm calling them off. I'm fine. The room fell silent, and all eyes except those empty were on me. I'm fine. I repeated whilst composing myself. I limped to my room, frustrated and embarrassed. I felt like I'd volunteered to live on stage and in humiliation simultaneously. If I didn't walk in broken, I'd soon be broke. I thought about it until the early hours of the morning, not that I would have slept anyway through the echoes of delusion. My girls, my girls, my girls. Susan, Susan. Susan, son, 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 Henry, Henry, Henry. Different voices with the same subtle sadness muffled through the walls. It never stopped. How could anyone live happily in a constant reminder of their misfortune? I couldn't take it anymore. I tore my covers off, grunting in anger whilst trying to sit up in bed. I felt every joint grind against another as I tried escaping my sheets. The pain burned, then lingered, dragging my attempts of standing back down. My love was dead. My kids weren't there. My body was crumbling beneath me, and my fate was wandering around me in the home I now live in, showing the inevitable zombie I'd become. It was awful. I shook with anger. No one could do this. It was all falling apart. It was... too much. All went silent and numb as my arms developed a deep ache and a sharp pain stabbed my chest. I clutched the bottom of my collarbone as I felt the sweat run down my forehead. I couldn't hear my heartbeat. It was slowing. I tried calling for someone but not a whisper left my mouth slower. Just as the agony spiraling through my world grew unbearable, darkness took its place. Stopped. I knew my eyes were open, but I could see nothing. I was surrounded by a blackness that nothing in the real world could replicate. This wasn't the real world. Was this death? Was this an afterlife? A small light pierced the darkness far in front of me. I felt my legs once more. The light wasn't holy in any way. 
It didn't feel like something to be followed, but something to choose. Things weren't right. I became aware of something lurking in the void I was inhabiting. Something chasing me. That was the choice. It was getting closer the longer I left the light unattended, and if it caught me, that was my choice made. That light was life, somehow, and despite my previous misery, I wasn't ready to let go. I set off for the distant flame, urgency filling my blood the closer I got. Death knew I wasn't accepting it. My strides grew longer and quicker. I could feel its vile, snarling jaws matching my increasing speed. The light began replacing the darkness as my deep sense of dread began fading. I didn't realize how close I was to its brightness until I was within it. I saw color and movement. I saw people. Be subtle, but the girl over there keeps looking at you. I recognized that voice. David? My best friend, David? I heard David died of lung cancer five years ago, old and frail. But that wasn't what he was here. I saw him young. He looked to be in his early twenties. I looked around. Everyone was young. All the friends I had as a young man were sat around a table at our local cafe. I was back with them. I saw Christmas decorations coating the walls and corners. It reminded me of a special night. Then it sunk in. I looked across the room to a table of girls who looked of similar age to me and my friends. She was there. Her beautiful young face, among yet somehow different to all those surrounding, smiling at me. It was Marie. The night we met. You should go and say something to her, David uttered into my ear. I wanted to respond. I didn't know what I was going to say, but I wanted to talk. Wanted. Something was stopping me. I couldn't get a word out. I tried reaching for the coffee cup in front of me, but my arms wouldn't budge. I was caged in my own body. The conversation still flowed, but it flowed around me, rather than through me. I felt my stomach twist upon remembering how me and Marie first spoke. The girls across the room stood up to leave and took Marie with them. I tried to stand to stop her and introduce myself like I did the first time round, but it was hopeless. I screamed inside my throat and thrashed in my own body but remained still as the dwindling hope in her eyes grew more faint the closer she got to the door. I watched the love of my life's face fill with disappointment before leaving the cafe. She broke eye contact, and with that, she was gone forever. Christ, you let a stunner go there, bud. David spoke, reaching for his coffee. Those were the first words I heard in a life I never lived. A flickering light returned but grew in the outline of my vision. My friend's words became unintelligible as the blinding light closed in on them. It engulfed the room until it was all white. I saw nothing but felt it all.
Life was gliding past me, but not the one I had previously lived. One much more desolate. I felt loneliness tear away all I worked for and solitude swallow my livelihood. I heard the laughter of my children vanish and the warmth of Marie turn to ice. I experienced all misery could offer in less than a second. My care home bedroom fell back into place as it were before. Only my eyes moved as I tried to glance around the room. I was no longer in bed, but a wheelchair. I noticed my open door as the sunlight shone into the hall. There were murmurs coming from outside. His home care brought him in yesterday. She says he hasn't been able to move or communicate independently for a week. It's been going on for a while. I managed to single out a voice. Parkinson's, maybe? A different voice asked. Maybe, the previous guest. Well, the murmurs grew closer. A care appeared from round the corner as the receptionist followed behind. Whatever's wrong with our new friend here, I'm sure we'll figure it out and keep him comfortable. She bent down to talk to me, that patronizing tone I recognized. I was being spoke to like a child. Does our new friend here have any family we can talk to about his condition? The care continued. No one, I'm afraid. No wife, kids, or even distant relatives. The receptionist responded. That jaunty manner had vanished from her personality. As she stood in front of me, I saw a glimmer of genuine emotion ripple through her condescending act. How sad. The ladies grabbed each side of my wheelchair and pushed me out of my room whilst discussing my future in their premises. Only then did I realize the choice I made whilst engulfed by darkness. This was the price I paid for life. I was never told what life I was paying for. I thought about death lurking behind me and what an idiot I was for escaping it. The care stopped my wheelchair and left me in front of the television. As she disappeared behind it to find the switch, I saw myself in its reflection. It all made sense. All those I heard last night made sense. Tears filled my abandoned eyes as I gazed upon them, staring but not seeing anything. I tried to cry out, but I could only make one sound. Marie. 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 Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoyed tonight's story. If you did, make sure to check out more of the author's work in the episode description and go to youtube.com slash clancypasta to hear new episodes first. And if you'd like your story featured in an episode, feel free to email it to clancypastastories at gmail.com. You can always get your creepy cool merch at teespring.com slash stores slash clancypasta store. And I hope you all have a great night. Cheers. <laughs>